1: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we have a lot to talk about after the third weekend of college baseball. There is a new top 25 over at BaseballAmerica.com. It is topped by Arkansas for the second week in a row. It's the first time a number one team has retained the the title of that this season. So we'll, we'll get into a little bit about the changes within the top 25. We're going to talk some more about the ACC after another weekend of big conference series there in the ACC. We're going to get into some Pac-12 talk. It was a, it was a good weekend out in the Pac-12, and Big Ten play started. We're, we're happy to welcome the Big Ten to the college baseball party in 2021, and Joe took some of that in, so we're going to get into some of that as well. But first, I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Soto. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com nationaldatabase national database. All right, Joe, we're uh, we got a lot to talk about here on the Baseball America College podcast, and we're going to start talking here about Jackson State sweeping Alabama State to open SWAC play. I mean, one of the better
0: series to to get started with SWAC play, honestly, you know, I think Jackson State's one of those programs uh, better than most people would uh, would think they usually win a lot of games out there, Um, Alabama State kind of a little bit of an incumbent so Big things happening in the SWAC, uh, going under the radar a little bit as a conference that has started conference play. But I'm glad we I'm glad we started here. It's important, and I'm uh, glad we're talking about it.
1: Three one-run games. Jackson State was in the news this weekend because uh, of the football team. They're, yeah, they're playing uh, they're playing football in the spring over there in the SWAC slash the rest of FCS. And you might have heard Deion Sanders is the coach Jackson State. But uh, getting it done on the diamond this weekend as well with the uh, the nice sweep on the road of Alabama State, so something to watch there out in the swag. Uh, but Joe, uh, we have we have plenty to talk about here. Uh, like I mentioned, there's a new top twenty-five. We retained a number one team for the first time, so congrats to the Razorbacks for their second week as the the number one team in the Baseball America top twenty-five. There are a lot of different ways we could uh, we could take this, having uh, cleared out the the the, the top twenty-five uh having cleared a, 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 you know a week of, of more normalcy in the top 25, there wasn't a ton of movement uh, at, at the top of the poll. The top three teams remained the same. A lot of status quo generally happening in the in the top 10. But Joe, I think the biggest series of the weekend was in the ACC yet again. Thank you, ACC, for starting conference play a little early. It was Georgia Tech hosting Louisville. And Georgia Tech comes out with a big series win. And in my mind, that really went a long way to establishing Georgia Tech as an ACC title contender, uh, per- perhaps one of the favorites now. They're now 5-1 and one in the ACC, having swept North Carolina State a week ago in Raleigh, this time going back home and getting it done against Louisville. And it did not play out particularly how I thought it was going to. If you remember the preview podcast, I said that Friday was the key for both of these teams. And Louisville went out and won on Friday and did it in in really convincing fashion. They knocked Brant Herter out of the game in the second inning. Uh, But that was like the peak of the weekend was was maybe them knocking out Brant Herter in the second inning. That might've been the peak for Louisville. It it was not so great from there. Georgia Tech comes back, wins the next two games and uh, and claims a, a significant series win and the Yellow Jackets move into the top ten. Now, Joe, you you're a bit higher on Georgia Tech than I was in the preseason. What do you make of Georgia Tech and, and its chances now through two weeks of ACC play? We certainly have to
0: like them based on the start they've had. You know, any team that starts off five and one is is in a really good position there. Five and one against against two two tough opponents certainly. Uh, which I guess there's an argument you made that there's nothing but tough opponents in the ACC this year when we've already seen what a school like Pitt can do, team like Pitt can do. So yeah, so five and one start certainly is, 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 is what you're looking for there. I think I, so I like this team a lot because I thought, okay, the offense is going to be really good, but I also think there's an opportunity for the pitching to be a little bit better than we're used to there because it's, it's a pretty talented staff and that remains true. I don't think there's really any doubting, the talent they have there, at least on the high end of the staff. There's maybe questions to be asked about the, the depth, but the high end talent is is pretty good there. Um, but while the pitching has clearly not been up to a level that I certainly had thought it could be so far this season, I think what you're seeing though is that the offense is so good that it's really able to make up for a lot of that. And I think at this point, we're only three weeks in, so I don't, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush here, but I don't know. It seems to me that, that this is maybe just bound to be the type of team that is is going to score a lot of runs and will continue to score runs throughout the season. But maybe we're, we're, I mean, we're just not going to know what they're going to provide week to week from a pitching standpoint. And I I suppose that's better than knowing exactly what they're going to provide and and know that it's going to be bad because it's not like this team is not capable of putting together good pitching performances. We saw it from brand two weeks ago, for example, you know, Andy Archer has had some nice moments. We can go on and on here with little nice moments and time that certain pitchers and the staff have had. And so they can still do that. You're just not going to get it every week. And I think sometimes I know I'm guilty of it. I think sometimes we are, are very quick to talk down about a team a little bit because they're flawed in some way or another and have an obvious flaw, we're always looking for the the most well-rounded team out there. And that, that makes some sense. But You know, it's okay to to be a flawed team because most teams in college baseball ultimately are going to be. I think it's just for a team in the top 10, oftentimes we're not talking about a team with such an obvious flaw in terms of when we look at the inconsistency of what they've gotten from the pitching staff so far. So, you know, it's a team that's in the top 10, but you and I both were kind of like, oh, that was an ugly series. Like, I don't know if that's a that's a top 10 team, but I'm glad we have them there because I think the reality of the situation is it's clearly a top 10 offense. Or an offense worthy of being in the top 10. And right now that's been able to overcome the inconsistency on the pitching
1: staff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a top 10 team right now. I don't know, I don't have them in my Omaha field, for instance, and I'm gonna need to see more out of the pitching staff before I actually trust that, um, let alone, I mean, we can talk much later in the season, if, if this continues for Georgia tech about what has gone wrong for Georgia tech in the postseason over the last, I don't know, 15 years, but the, the pitching staff just to, to get to that point is, is going to need to improve. And I, I think it probably will. I I don't think that what you're seeing is, is as good as it's going to be at the end of the year. Brandt Herter had been really good up until this weekend. He's coming off injury. Hasn't, you know, hasn't, really faced something like this in, in a while. So, you know, we'll see where he goes from here and they have some options to, to shuffle some things around. I, I do think that they'll, they'll find a way. I mean, I, I think Danny Burrell does a good job there. Um, at least in his first couple of seasons, he certainly has a, a very long track record of success in pro baseball. So I, I think that they should be able to, uh, to find, find their way a little bit better on the mound. And let's not forget how good this Louisville offense can be. It still isn't clicking on all its cylinders yet, but there is uh, there is an incredible amount of upside and depth in that lineup. Even if some of the stars are still not producing at quite the level that we thought they would, there are, there are plenty of other guys that, that can hit the baseball really well there. So just the fact that Georgia Tech gave up runs to Louisville is not the world's most concerning thing about them. Uh, you know, right now, I think it's a, a difficult conversation or a difficult question. You know, who is the best, who is playing the best baseball in the ACC right now? You have three teams in the conference that have won their first two series. Uh, that's Georgia Tech, that's Virginia Tech, and uh, it's Notre Dame. Now, Boston College would have had a chance to join that group. They, uh, they unfortunately, though, if you'll recall, got their series this weekend at wake forest canceled due to COVID issues for the Deeks, and BC went out and and won a series at Auburn. So, you know, they they haven't had the opportunity to, to win their, their second ACC series yet, but the rest of the conference, you know, hasn't, hasn't come out like that. And that includes teams that we thought were going to be really good, like Virginia and, and Louisville that includes Miami, which of course started the season so well against Florida. Um, You know, Joe, I, I don't. Who who is playing the best baseball in the ACC right now? Is it one of those teams? Is it is it somebody else that already has a series loss? What what do you what do you see when you stack stack those teams up? A uh, jumbled mess is my quick answer, and
0: I think that's what we're bound to have. I really do think this is going to be the kind of year where you know we we do this we play this game every week. I, I can already see it happening where we're just going to be. Playing this I'm game happy adenauseam. to do. It. Yeah, for sure. Like <laughs> I would much rather I'm happy to ask you every week who
1: is playing the best <laughs> baseball in the ACC right now.
0: I mean, I would, I would rather that than the alternative. We've had years and, and I think we're you know, we'll talk about the Pac-12 later, but we're probably going to have a similar year in the Pac-12 where we're going to talk about four or five teams and then it's going to be a very clear top and bottom half in the Pac-12. And we've had years like that in in the SEC, frankly, where it's been very top-heavy and, and the bottom falls out a little bit. So I'd, I'd rather have this where you've got 14 teams all capable of beating each other than the alternative to that. Um, You know, I've been pretty impressed just with kind of how, maybe it's because I don't know as much about the team, but I've been pretty impressed with the fact that, you know, Virginia Tech did what they did against Miami and then came out and backed that up with what they did against North Carolina. And frankly, you made this point to me last night when we were talking talk 25, that they really made North Carolina look like the North Carolina team that we thought we were going to get coming into the season, which is a team that, is competitive, um, but, you know, is, you know, perhaps closer to the, the back of the top 25 versus the top half of the top 25, maybe a little inconsistent in the starting pitching because there's not a ton of proof there. Maybe, you know, uh, offensively, you're, you're not sure what you're going to get from week to week. And, and they really brought that out in North Carolina in a way that the Virginia didn't the week before. So I don't, I don't know, There's still a little bit of mystery about Virginia Tech to me, and maybe that's part of the reason why I'm a little bit allured by them right now, but I've really been impressed with the consistency in in doing it back-to-back weeks because a team that's learning how to win at this level, and Virginia Tech very much is in in that building process with John Chef. a a lot of times what you kind of see there is that they have these kind of letdowns and some peaks and valleys, and and through two weeks, and it's a very small sample, but through two weekends, Virginia Tech has been incredibly impressive, not just in terms of winning those two series, but also with dealing with, in the Miami series, losing the middle game and coming back and winning a Sunday, or against North Carolina, you know, coming out quickly and winning those those first two games. So I, again, I don't know if it's the best team or the most, certainly not the most talented team. I mean, that's obvious. Like there, there are tons of more talented teams in the ACC, but they're winning games right now, and I'm pretty impressed by it.
1: Yeah, I think all three of those teams that have won two series have been very impressive, um, you know, not just because they put the wins on on the, the, the board already. It, you look at it and you see uh, who they've beaten and, and how they've done it, and, and I think that that's been impressive for, for Virginia Tech, for Georgia Tech, and for Notre Dame. Notre Dame has yet to play a home game in uh, in any competition they've yet to play a game that isn't an ACC game and here they are with wins at Wake Forest and at Clemson and um, they've had to fight back after losing the first game of both of the series to do it and do that on the road I think is really impressive you know for Virginia Tech to go down to Miami and get a series win I mean that that's that's massive and uh, you know here's here's Georgia Tech with the best record in the conference a sweep at NC State and now like I said last week, I have concerns about NC state, uh, but there was a time this weekend that I thought, Oh, well, maybe the Wolfpack are bouncing back. You know, they, they won the first game against Miami. They took a, a lead on, on Sunday. And I thought, well, you know, okay, Miami's bullpen isn't great. Like maybe the Wolfpack can keep building on this and, and and come out with a, a nice bounce back series win, and that just didn't happen. Um, Miami Miami got it done against the Wolfpack bullpen, and its bullpen definitely did did the job on Sunday. So, you know, I don't I don't know what to make of the Wolfpack right now, but I do know that anytime you go on the road in the ACC and sweep a series, like that's significant. And to do so against a perennial regional team, a, a team that's perennially in the host discussion, like NC State is, I, I think that that speaks a lot to what. Georgia Tech can do, and then to you know double down on it with the series win at Louisville is is impressive. I mean, for me, who, I, who's the best team in the ACC right now? I mean, it's like I guess I I have to say Notre Dame. Um, that that's the shtick here, uh, but you know it it very well could be Virginia Tech, and and there's a, a very compelling case that it's it's Georgia Tech as well, and they have the best record at this point. And you know I, I don't want to discount BC just because they had the unfortunate. <laughs> situation where they couldn't play their their weekend you know they went and they won a series at Duke last weekend and then they hit the road again this weekend and it wasn't an ACC series but they won a series against Auburn in a incredibly strange way I guess uh you know they went out and they won on Friday pretty pretty handily then they got their brains beat in on uh on Saturday and uh then on on Sunday they they were on their way to another route uh you know at the hands of auburn and then they come back in the ninth inning reverse a an eight zero uh or an eight run deficit and and get a win in extra innings on the plane so it's uh it was a, it was a wild series for them but you know the fact that they you know have these two pretty significant road series and again they, they haven't played they played a home game it was a midweek game on you know this week uh that 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 speaks a lot to what BC is right now too. Yeah. That's that, yeah. The Auburn series ends up being kind of like an
0: honorary ACC series in terms of the, the quality of the opponent there. And that's Sunday game. Like that's going to be hard to beat for the wildest game of the season. We've got a lot of season to go, but scoring eight runs in the ninth to tie it and then getting a two home run homer in the 10th to win it is just, I mean, that's, that's nuts. I mean, they were on the way to, you know, that would have been a really easy talking point for us on you know today had they lost that game what you know whatever it was before they went to extra nine to one or eight to one, whatever it was and you know because it's like okay they won the game Pelio started and then saturday and sunday they got their brains beat in and like questions about pitching depth and questions about offensive production against uh higher end arms um you know we obviously aren't sure exactly what auburn is but they do have they do have talented pitchers they do have guys who throw hard So that would have been a really easy thing, but then BC just throws that right out the window by coming back and doing what they did on Sunday. So really impressive there quickly on Miami. I kind of think about them as like a slightly more well-rounded version of what Georgia tech is right now, because they've got, they've gotten, I think I like some of the pieces in their bullpen better than anything. Georgia tech has Carson Palmquist has been excellent Um, You know, I like the fact that they have a really experienced guy in Ben Wenger on the back end. He's not been, has not had the cleanest start to the season, but they clearly trust him in those moments. But otherwise, like Miami's bullpen situation has been a little bit scattered, has been a little bit inconsistent. They also are getting some inconsistency in the starting rotation, and that might have been something you predicted when you're starting two freshmen plus a, a converted reliever in Daniel Fetterman. And then the offense has bailed them out on a few different occasions, but I think I like Georgia Tech's offense better than I like Miami's offense. And then I think I actually like Miami's pitching situation ever so slightly better than I do Georgia Tech. So Miami's like slightly more well-rounded, I would say, than, than Georgia Tech, but it's kind of a similar story, honestly.
1: Before we move on from the ACC show, where are you on Louisville? Is it time to hit the panic button?
0: Panic button... No, but I, I think maybe it's time to reevaluate whether or not this team is um, is going to be a national title contender as we thought they were going into the season, or if it's just going to be a team that kind of fights fights to host. Is a really good team could maybe get to Omaha if things break right. But the thing about it is, is I mean, they gave up a lot of runs, and okay, it's Georgia Tech. I get it. That's a really good offense, and they were playing in Atlanta, where where runs are typically easier to come by. And I get the Glenn Albanese was out for the second straight weekend, but that doesn't explain what happened the other two days of the weekend, because even in the win, I mean, okay, they held them to six runs. That's pretty good, but it's not shutting them out. And so I, I'm actually a little bit concerned just what, um, let me back up. I think the obvious thing to be concerned about is Alex Benellis is hitting less than 200 and Levi Usher, I think is hitting like 220. But to your point, there are other guys that are kind of hitting that maybe are getting are more productive than we thought they would be. So I think while you'd rather have your stars being the ones carrying the weight, probably, I think the production has ended up being not too far off necessarily from where you thought it would be. It's just maybe a little bit different in who's doing it. Pitching wise though, there were questions to be asked of what we could expect with Louisville on the mound. We give Louisville a lot of benefit of the doubt as we should, because they do a pretty good job of, Developing guys who maybe weren't in big roles earlier in their careers to become stars later in their careers, both in the at the position player side and on the mound. And so when we heard about the improvements that Albanese made, when we heard about Michael Kirian's ready to be a starter, when we heard about you know uh, you know Luke Smith is ready to really be a, a guy that anchors this rotation, um, I think we were kind of willing to go on that ride with them. And then of course you added the bullpen guys at Prosecchi and, and Perkins and uh, Poland and, and whoever else there. Um, but it hasn't, it it hasn't really worked out so far. And like, yes. Okay. If if Albanese comes back and he's healthy and he's the guy that they were hoping he was being in the guy we saw opening weekend, like maybe that fixes some of the stuff and that helps some of the depth issues, but they're just not pitching well enough. And I'm really not, I'm really not exactly sure how confident I am that that's going to get a whole lot better in the end.
1: Yeah. I mean, I still trust the talent particularly offensively Um, they're Benellis usher. They're going to hit better than they're hitting right now. I mean, Benellis already is like starting to come out of it a little bit. He just has a big hole to dig out of. So I, I feel, I feel like they're going to score runs. The pitching is a, is a, is a concern. I mean, I, I thought having Luke Smith back anchoring that, the the third spot in the rotation I thought that'd be a big boon for for Louisville this year and you know he he got roughed up pretty bad yesterday and so if that becomes more of a like they need to find some answers on the mound Roger Williams does a really good job with the the pitching at Louisville has for a long time Again, it, you know, I, I have to believe it's going to get better, even if it is just, you know, Albany's coming back. And then, you know, that just, you know, moves everyone down a, a spot, you know, back into more traditional roles for them. But, you know, it's it's got to get better. They've really hit a hit a hit a snag here out of the gate, which is not something we're used to seeing with Louisville. I don't know, you know, part of me wants to give them a little bit of a, a pass just on like the weirdness of the season and how they usually ramp up to it that, you know, they, they have a lot of players that they usually would kind of roll through against a lot lesser competition before they hit ACC play. Uh, They, but they had two weeks of non-conference play. The rest of the league only had the one Um, they, they had two weeks. That's only one fewer week than they're used to. So I don't, I don't know. Particularly, what's ailing Louisville right now? I mean, a lot of things are obviously, but it's uh, it's not great right now, that's for sure. And you know, it it just even if they had won this series, I wouldn't come out of it. I don't think having felt a whole lot better. Like if they had won the slugfest yesterday, which they threatened to do, they came back uh, against that Georgia Tech bullpen. If uh, if they had completed that comeback, I don't think I would be sitting here saying like, oh, Louisville definitely. Like backed up what they were like that would have been a really ugly series win and sometimes you got to win the the ugly series but other times you you, at some point they need to start you know actually cohesing I don't think that's a word (laughs) there needs to be some (laughs) cohesion yeah we we could start using it there needs to be some cohesion though about this whole group and we haven't seen that to this point. And until, until it happens, uh, I, there are going to be some concerns about where Louisville is.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I am pro-cohesing, for sure. Yeah, They, they, they have a, <laughs> a series with, with Boston College at home this weekend, and I think that that could be another ugly one where, you know, because what I said about BC, the questions about the pitching depth is a, is a very real thing. I mean, let's not forget that they got in a big hole yesterday against Auburn, and they ended up just digging out of it. So, you know, I can see a situation where both teams score some runs in that weekend, and it's just going to kind of come down to, kind of like it did in the Georgia Tech series, just a couple of little things here and there that flip that series. But I think the where we'll need to definitely see whether or not the pitching staff is pitching any better is two weekends from now when they come to Raleigh to play NC State, because for all of NC State's flaws at this point, they can still mash, they can still hit the ball hard. And so that's that's a lineup that especially if NC state's a little bit in desperation mode, like you could definitely see that uh, being a little bit of a, a a litmus test series for the Louisville pitching staff is because you're not going to be able to get away with much of anything in in that series. So they're going to have to be better if they're going to win um, have success in that series. Whereas with this weekend against BC, I think they can win that series and not actually have proved to be a whole lot more consistent on the mound. I don't know if they can get away with that same kind of thing on the road against NC state.
1: All right, Joe, we're uh, we're going to move on a little bit with our ACC talk here. Uh, I want to ask and have us answer the question of whether the ACC is the deepest conference in college baseball. Uh, but first, check this out. All right, Joe, before that that break there, I, I teased that we were going to ask whether the ACC is the deepest conference in college baseball. And, and where I'm getting at with this is that the SEC is dominating the top end of the rankings they have the first four teams in the rankings are from the sec Uh, there are what two more in the top in the top 10 that that are sec teams and you know it's uh that we we have yet to rank uh, a team number one this season despite there have been three number one teams this season they've all been from the sec that really gives the perception for a lot of people Uh, that the sec is by far the best conference in college baseball and you know i'm i'm certainly a part of in in reinforcing that idea i say it all the time but you know it's it's not as clear cut right now in, in my mind that the sec is is the best conference and that's because the acc 1 through 14 looks incredibly deep right now if you ask me who the worst team in the acc right now is like i mean is it? is it wake forest? Is it North Carolina state? Like, is it, you know, are, are you not a believer in Pitt, despite the fact that they, they swept the series of Florida state, just looking at talent, like, are, is, is that the worst team? I mean, they're not playing like the worst team. Uh, You know, they're four and too. Is it, is it Virginia? You know, I, because they have two series losses, although they have yet to play a home ACC game. So the point is if these are the teams that we're talking about is potentially being the worst in the ACC, like, Oh man, those teams are good. Meanwhile, you look at the SEC what happened this weekend. Missouri basically didn't show up at the Frisco College Classic. Kentucky lost a home series to Ball State. Now Ball State is 6 and 4 and also won twice at Arizona earlier earlier this season. But still, uh Georgia needed a walk-off win on Sunday to win a series against North Florida. And in fairness to Georgia with that, like they were tied in the ninth inning. It was not that they were trailing going into the ninth inning of Sunday, but still, it's North Florida. And, uh, you know, there there was was some shakiness elsewhere, you know. Um, and, And as a result, I feel like the SEC is exposing the fact that it has a little bit of a softer underbelly that I'm not seeing in the ACC right now. And some of that is that the ACC has been playing conference games and so I maybe I'm just not getting a chance to see it maybe given more of a chance uh you know one of those teams would have exposed the fact that they just aren't that great and right now I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because they're losing conference games whereas you know the SEC hasn't had the chance to start beating itself up yet. Um but as I look at it like it seems clear to me that the ACC is the deepest conference in the country and may actually make a run at the the best conference thing, at least depending on how you evaluate conferences. If all you're looking for is top-end national title contenders, you know, you're not going to find any more in any one conference than you'll find in the SEC. Uh, I, I don't even know who the ACC's national title contenders are right now. Uh, I mean, it sure looks like Miami's capable of it, and then you know beyond that, I'm not sure. Um, you know we talked about where we are at with georgia tech where we're at with louisville you know virginia has like i said lost two series um you know i i'm, I'm not ready to to jump in on virginia tech doing it and, you know this is a team that hasn't even been to regionals in a while so i you know it, it's it becomes trickier but if you so if all you're going to do is look at who who is at the top end of the conference and who can win a national title from your conference the SEC remains clear-cut there but if you look at the depth, I mean, for me, it's the ACC.
0: I think that's exactly right. I think you, I think you kind of nailed it there, and I do think it is a factor that we have not yet seen SEC and conference play, and I think that cuts two ways, where we see that some of the losses that the SEC has taken, or, you know, Georgia struggling a little bit with North Florida, LSU losing a series to Oral Roberts.
1: I knew there you was know. another one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Missouri struggling the way it has. All Missouri's losses have, I mean, they have mostly come against like more solid competition. They just haven't been very competitive at all. But um, so we, we've seen those kind of things happen. And I think on the other side of it, there are some ACC teams that were pretty – that were a little more down on than we would otherwise be, but that's just because they've been playing conference competition. So it, it, I think it does cut both ways, right? Or I think actually put better. Both things are working against the SEC right now um, more than cutting both ways. But I do think you're – I do think the point is is true, though, like I, because I, I'm more confident – I'm pretty confident in telling you even more so than who the best teams are I, in the ACC. I'm more confident in telling you who – bottom teams are in the sec. Like, I think it's, it's going to be a tough season for, for Missouri. I think Georgia, maybe it's pitching to kind of help it to a couple of series wins here and there. But I think ultimately that's not a team I would predict to be at the top of the standings, Kentucky's Kentucky's right there with them. And I think, um, you know, maybe Auburn and A and M so far, like have shown that think it might be a little bit uh, of tough sledding for them in, in the sec West in the ACC though, I, I'm with you. I just, um, you know, I, I'm still having a hard time with, with Pitt just because to me, that was, a, that was a team that, that, you know, you and I don't think really talked about much. It just not even in within the, certainly not within the context of like a top 25 discussion. I just mean in general uh, there was, wasn't a lot of Pitt talk coming into the season. So I still have trouble wrapping my mind around that, but otherwise um, you look at the bottom of the ACC standings and you know, you're looking at, you're looking at teams like NC State and like, I don't, I have, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that's going to be an under 500 team in the ACC. It might be just mechanics being of the fact that they started off one in five, but um, I, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident in just about everybody in the ACC having a certain level of competence and in the SEC, I can just more clearly see the bottom of the league is, is the feeling I get.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, some of that, is going to change over the course of the season, you know, teams change, but I, I, I agree that, you know, right now I, I could feel comfortable picking some teams that will not make the NCAA tournament out of the SEC. I wouldn't feel comfortable saying any ACC team is not going to make the NCAA tournament. Like I could sit here and tell you the four, three or four teams that I would feel least confident in making it that there are most likely to miss regionals this year. Uh, you know, I, I could figure that out and it would be okay. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have the same level of certainty that I would have in the sec. And, uh, that that's just not necessarily like, I knew that the ACC was going to be deep this year. You know, we definitely talked about that. We talked about how we felt like every team probably felt like it could make a case that it was better than they were the year prior as much as we said that though i wasn't ever sure that i like i always said it in a way that was like well the day the 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 coaching staffs all feel that way like i never said that i thought that but i'm here to tell you that that's i mean like louisville aside right now but like you know there are a couple teams that that we thought were going to be pretty good that that haven't played that way right now, but the the bottom half of the conference, every one of those teams is better. I feel very confident saying that, that, you know, whatever you thought the bottom half of the ACC was in 2019 and 2020, uh, those teams are all better in 2021. And and it's showing right now that that conference is is just going to beat itself up uh, for the rest of the season, I think. And we've now spent a ton of time talking about the ACC and i am only mildly apologetic about it like they them playing conference games this weekend was was fantastic because the rest of the country wasn't did not provide too much on the marquee level some of those tournaments that we would normally look to this weekend really felt flat uh but the uh i was i was thankful to have Know, series like Notre Dame and Clemson and, and Georgia Tech and, and Louisville to uh you know and, and North Carolina and Virginia Tech to to focus on. Uh but let's uh let's change gears here, Joe, and let's go out west because I feel like the Pac 12 had a great weekend this weekend. Uh, the top level teams in the Pac 12 anyway, UCLA swept their tournament uh, against Pepperdine, Fullerton, and USC. Arizona swept the Frisco College Classic. Uh, it's two against Oklahoma, DBU, and Missouri. Oregon State swept BYU. They're now on a 10-game winning streak. Oregon made maybe the loudest statement with a sweep at Santa Barbara. Uh, that's a UCSB team we really thought pretty highly of coming into the year. Uh, and uh, you know Arizona State swept Utah in a non-conference series. Washington State remains hot. Stanford swept San Francisco, which, as you may remember, swept UCLA, or not, did not sweep UCLA, won a series at UCLA on opening weekend. So I the, the, the top teams in the pack really seem to be showing themselves, and they're showing themselves in a way that I think is really sustainable uh, in, in many respects. But I, I do think that what you're seeing from UCLA, Arizona, Oregon State particularly – and then I view Arizona State pretty highly. We're not ranking them, but we've literally talked about them every single week. Um, like they're they're right there. I you know, I I don't think those teams are are going away. You know, ASU is a little in a little bit tricky situation because they learned this week that they're gonna be without Boyd Vanderkoy and Cooper Benson the rest of the season, and and that's gonna hurt, but you know, I I think those those four teams, especially, and now maybe Oregon is and Stanford are are ready to join that group as well. I mean, it, it's starting to look like, you know, we're we're starting to see some delineation out in the pack.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested to see teams like Oregon State, Stanford, or I'm sorry, Oregon, Washington State, and Stanford in particular start conference play because those are those are teams I still have more questions about just in terms of although man you know Oregon's sweeping UC Santa Barbara we thought so highly of UC Santa Barbara and they're still probably the best team in the in the Big West especially since you know we don't know what to expect two of the teams we thought maybe would be better in the Big West this year in Long Beach and Northridge haven't started playing yet so that's just a big question mark out there but but those those teams in particular I'm kind of interested to see what they start doing against conference foes because um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see who is who is more real, who is more for real out there among that group. I left Oregon state out, even though I misspoke and originally put them in, I left them out because I actually don't really have many questions about them at this point at all, really. Um, because the way they've been doing it has been so impressive. Their one loss so far this season is a loss to Kansas state on opening day and they faced Jordan Wicks and like, that'll happen because that, that guy's really good. But other than that, they have been extremely impressive on on both sides. And if you'd have told me to be in a season, they're going to pitch really well. I, I believe that, and that has been true. Kevin Abel has been, at least in terms of the results, vintage Kevin Abel. Um, you know, he's been been really, really good. Uh, the bullpen has been a big, big strength for that team. Um, and the rotation depth behind behind Abel has, has been pretty solid as well. But um, if they're just working with Abel on Fridays and then they pitch bullpen games the next two days, like I think it's a team that's still be in pretty good shape with the way they've, they've pitched so far. And the offense has been has been quite a bit better than I expected. And that will, I'm sure, change a little bit when once they get into conference play and start facing some of the better pitching staffs in conference. Uh, the great thing about the Pac-12 is they will also, from their standpoint, is they will also face some pitching staffs that aren't any better really than what they faced. So they will still be able to feast a little bit but it's an offense that looks like I thought it would in terms of you look at the stat sheet and they've got five or six guys who are pretty much regulars in the lineup. And then they've got a bunch of guys, they just kind of sub in and out. So they're trying a lot of different things. And so far it's worked, you know, they're hitting better than 300 as a team. So I, I, I leave them out of that discussion of teams. I'm fascinated to see in conference play, because I actually believe more in this Oregon state team than I do those other three. And I still have questions about, about those other three. The point you made about UCLA at the top is, is good as well, that, like this is the, this is the version of UCLA. I think that we thought we were going to get. And um, you know, it's funny how this, this works, right? Like if they, if they win one of those other two games against San Francisco, like maybe we'd still talk a little bit about, well, they had to work pretty hard to win that series against San Francisco, but I don't know, by this point, we might've just kind of just said, ah, you know, opening weekend. Um, Because since then they really have been exactly the team that we thought they were going to be specifically the pitching is really starting to take shape and and you're starting to see that this was the pitching staff that, um, that we thought they were going to have. Uh, Petway in his first start was not particularly good. I don't have a lot of worry about that moving forward. And and Jared Karras was able to kind of come in and uh, give them some length in that game that made it kind of, uh, that made it okay in the end, but they they spent the weekend just beating up on, on granted, you know, three teams that are, I mean, really on the West coast, I don't know that there's three teams that have gotten off to tougher starts relative to expectations than, you know, Pepperdine, Cal state, Fullerton and USC. Those are teams that are really struggling. I wouldn't throw
1: Fullerton quite that far under the bus, but yes, (laughs) the, the other two for sure. Uh, I, I think Fullerton fits more in that. Well, you know, I thought it would be a bit better, but they're only 200,
0: 500. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, Point being, I mean, UCLA just really there was never a doubt in really any of those games, even the midweek game they had against Fullerton. There was there was never any doubt. So this UCLA team is really rounding into form and and they're kind of doing it quietly, which is uh, maybe perhaps uh, what's what's uh, what's best for them. But um, yeah, I'm with you. Big big weekend in the Pac-12. And now I'm in a position where I don't know that I was really. I was interested. We talked a lot about, okay, what's the middle class of the Pac-12 look like? And so I was interested in that. But I don't know just generally that I was going to be anticipating the Pac-12 conference season all that much beyond just kind of uh, being interested in, in what the depth looks like. Now I'm actually really fascinated by it because I think we have a lot of questions going into conference play that we're going to get answers to sooner rather than later.
1: So, you mentioned that, like, what, how, how differently we would view UCLA if they had just won one more game against San Francisco. I, I've got, I, I hadn't thought about this before, but you, you saying that triggered this. If the Bruins win one of those games, either Friday or Sunday against San Francisco, they're the number one team in the country the following, like, coming out of week one. It's not all this. They're probably still the number one team in the country, and Arkansas fans are constantly yelling at us about how the hogs are better than ucla and why won't we rank arkansas number one yeah you're right that is that is funny like that is a really interesting and it just goes to show right that
0: sometimes i think we do a pretty good job of this that at least i'd like to think so i think we do a pretty good job of kind of reevaluating our priors when we do top 25 every week and because you and i definitely talked about that when we were ranking last night that you know, one game goes different in that USF series and suddenly we're looking at UCLA quite a bit differently, but it is easy sometimes to hang on to some of those, some of those priors and not look at it fresh. But I, I, I'd like to think we do a pretty good job of that, but it is an easy thing to do as a crutch. Just kind of think back to the, the, the the most, um, the biggest impression that you have of a team. And oftentimes that's the first impression you get, or the impression you get from their worst or most outlier result. And um, that's probably what we've, what we've got with with UCLA, I also am thankful in a way, though, that we're not having to have that kind of philosophical debate, though, because it would be interesting, a UCLA team that kind of would be the incumbent versus an Arkansas team that is a deserving number one, but also, you know, still has some of the questions that we've always kind of had about Arkansas, you know, as far as like the pitching staff and then what that looks like, because it was another weird weekend from a pitching standpoint for Arkansas. And that that's a philosophical debate. I'm just kind of glad we don't necessarily have to have right now.
1: One other note about UCLA is that, in addition, again, way back in the rotation, J.T. Schwartz uh, made his return, Uh, so that's uh, that's a nice boost for that offense, which which frankly needed it. Uh, One other thing here on the Pac-12 before we move on, Joe, Arizona, uh, they scored an incredible amount of runs this weekend in Texas, and they now are the highest-scoring offense in the country, and they've done it against competition that you know they have yet to play a team that is going to finish outside i would guess the top 150 in rpi and if you told me they hadn't played a top or they, they hadn't played a sub 100 rpi team at the end of the season um you know i would believe it you know they've played missouri dbu oklahoma southeastern louisiana which uh they did sweep but southeastern bounced back with a really nice sweep of troy this weekend and Ball State, which, again, just uh, won a series at Kentucky. And, you know, no matter what happens in the Mac, you know, as long as Ball State doesn't – the floor doesn't drop out, like it's going to be really hard to kick them out of the top 100 of the RPI, I would guess, uh, the rest of the way. So the, the point of all of that is that this has been uh, – you know, it, it's not like they're beating up on, on bad teams – you know, some of these teams might not be the best pitching teams in the country. You know, we'll we'll see where that goes, but Arizona's offense is exactly as good, probably even better than we realized, and they're starting to get a nice core on the on the staff now. Chase Silseth got rocked uh, by Oklahoma, but the rest of the rotation. Uh, Murphy, Irvine, and Nichols, they did a nice job the rest of the way. And if you look at the core of the bullpen, uh, you know, Arizona has a has a few relievers they can abs- absolutely trust. They they are going to want to expand some depth around that, but they uh it seems like they have a pretty good pitching staff. And if their offense is going to continue to be, you know, the the best offense in the country, um, you know, to me that that seems pretty clear that this is this is a team that's not going anywhere
0: yeah that's right on the the offense has been better than i thought and i was a a pretty big defender of of this arizona team in the in the preseason and the thing about it is is the reasons i thought they would be good have all been true and then you know then you add in the fact that jacob barry as a freshman has been probably better than i expected and Kobe Cato has been a little bit more impactful as a bat than I thought he would be. And Blake Paw has been better than I thought he would be. And Jacob Bloss has been better than I thought he would be. And some of that might turn out to be unsustainable, who knows? But I think what is sustainable is that you're right. This is an elite offensive team and that is going to be good enough to win just about any game that they're in until we get to the postseason, And then I think we'll have a different conversation about Arizona because that's when you really start to have to win games in a little bit different way. So, uh, or not, if the offense turns out to be good enough. But uh, that, that certainly will be a different conversation we have. But but I think this is yeah, this is an Arizona team that, with with the pitching they have now, which has been good enough so far. Like they're just they're gonna win a lot of games in the in the way that they won games this past weekend.
1: All right, Joe. Um, I mentioned that the Big Ten opened up this uh, this weekend. We we talked about this uh, on the preview show that there were three different pods of Big Ten action going. Uh there was one in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where you were. There was one in Round Rock, Texas, and there was one in Minneapolis. And, you know, some broad strokes. Uh Michigan won the first two games of a four-game series, or two out of the first three of a four-game series against Iowa. They're finishing up uh just after we finish recording this, they'll probably start playing that game uh, to, to round out the weekend there. Indiana won three games in Minnesota against uh, Minnesota and Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers looked okay. They went two and two. Minnesota did not look great up there. Penn state looked good against Northwestern. Um, Ohio state really took it to Illinois and Michigan state was probably the surprise outfit of the weekend. Um, you know, winning big against against a Maryland team that I thought was going to be pretty good this season. And, uh, you know, Nebraska and Purdue both uh, both played well, I, I would say, against each other. So uh, take it wherever you want within the Big Ten. Uh, what what stood out to you? What, what didn't stand out to you uh, on the first weekend of Big Ten action?
0: Yeah, start. I mean, starting with the stuff that I that I didn't see in person, I think just kind of trying to catch up with stuff. I think Michigan I think Michigan showed in a lot of ways why, why we have them ranked, why we like them a lot. Stephen Hadger was good. They got, uh, you know, good pitching in the third game of the series, winning against, against Iowa. Uh, we'll see how today plays out, but, but I, I think we really kind of saw why, why we like them the way that we do offense still feels like a little bit of a work in progress. So we'll, um, we will continue to, to monitor, to monitor that. Um, I also think it was, it was good news for Indiana. They go three and one in the offense. You know the offense didn't really um, didn't really swing it quite in the way that I think that I think they we think they can. Although it is a positive, I think that you know Drew Ashley, Colbar, and Grant Richardson were three of the biggest catalysts on offense because that's kind of what you expect there. And the games at U.S. Bank can kind of be weird because it's it's a it's it's a bigger obviously a humongous park, but like it, it sometimes it doesn't play as big as you think it does, and so it, sometimes it's hard to know exactly what we should make of offense versus pitching numbers at those those games in US Bank. So I think for Indiana that's I think you take that as a great sign that they got out of there at 3 and 1 and the offense maybe isn't as consistent as as they would have they would have ultimately liked. So stuff that I saw quickly on Michigan State because you're right I think it was a surprising 3 and 1 certainly against Maryland two things. One is that if we play that four those four games again like it could very easily be flipped and beat three to one Maryland because in two of the three games that Maryland lost it pitched well enough to win great pitchers duel on Friday between Michigan State Sam Ben Scooter and Sean Burke Sean Burke just gave up a couple runs in the first and that was it uh, but Ben Scooter was just better but Sean Burke struck out 13 at one point he struck out nine of 10 uh, that he faced Michigan State never really threatened him after that I think they maybe tacked on a run late in his outing so ended up tagging him with three runs, but they didn't really have any extended rallies. And then Connor Stain was really good for them in uh, the, the late game Saturday. And they were, they were winning four to nothing. Maybe Maryland were winning four to nothing. And they had one meltdown inning where a couple guys came out of the bullpen and, and couldn't, couldn't get out. There was an error. It was some sloppy play wild pitches and they lost five to four. And that was it. Um, so the thing about Michigan state is, I don't know that it really changed my thoughts on how much of a contender Michigan State truly is. But what I will say about this is they've got enough pitching to make you uncomfortable. It, ben Scooter's stuff is is good. Um, it's not Mason Erla stuff, but you know, he was up in the mid nineties. Uh, Jake boss talked a lot when I talked to him at the end of the day, Friday about the changes he's made to his body to increase his velocity and, and the work he's put in. So I think that's pretty real. Uh, we know what they have in Mason Erla. Uh, it wasn't a great start, but it was pretty good on Saturday Uh, the ball just comes out of his hand so much electricity uh, just so physical so easy velocity Um, so you like that Uh, Zach Iverson was good out of the bullpen Adam Berghorst showed some good stuff in in his start Um, so they have enough pitching to really to to compete with just about anybody offense is going to be more of the question and you know they ended up hitting just 235 so nothing they did this weekend changed but what I will say is that the reason they won the games they won this weekend outside of pitching well was that they are a pretty efficient offense. And that's because they have a lot of speed in the lineup. The top two guys in the lineup are freshman shortstop and Mitch Jeb and then outfielder Bryce Kelly. And they both have incredible speed to the point where if either one of those guys gets on first base, it might as well be a double. And then in Bryce Kelly's case, it might as well be a triple because they're, they're going to try to make things happen on the bases. And so anytime those guys get on, there's a pretty good chance they're going to be in scoring position. And we just know odds are in baseball, if you put guys in scoring position, you're going to come through and score runs a lot of the time. And that's kind of what Michigan state does. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to beat your brains in with power or, you know, putting 10 runs on you. But when they get guys on, they do a pretty good job of of getting them in because they can run. um, And they're going to try to manufacture runs that way. Will it be enough to be better than a middle of the pack team in the big 10? I don't know but they are going to be an uncomfortable team to play because of the way they play and with how well they can pitch. So there, there is that. Speaking of pitching, Ohio State, um, that's my big takeaway with Ohio State is that, you know, I like some pieces on offense, like Cade Kern is a freshman. Uh, There's some physicality and some strength there, some athleticism. Like I think he, he's not going to hit 471 all year, but I, he looks like the real deal to my eyes. I'm not an evaluator, but I mean, what he did this weekend, I think is good evidence of what he's capable of. And it'll, it'll be about adjustments for him, but Connor pole had a nice weekend. Zach Dezenzo had had moments here and there, but Sam Wilson had a nice weekend. So I think there's a, a little bit of depth offensively to a degree that, that I wasn't giving him credit for coming into the season. I, there, I don't think there's a big 10 player of the year type guy in that lineup. Um, but I do think there is pretty good, pretty good depth there but the pitching I think is, is, is where it's at for Ohio state. And I think it's good that they really didn't get great starts over the weekend. Uh, Garrett Burhan was, was good, but they didn't get a very good start from Seth Lonsway who just ran into a wall, in the third inning after being dominant for two innings, they didn't get a great start from, from Jack Neely either uh, or Will Finnick. But uh, you know, those guys, Burhan, Lonsway, and Neely in particular all have great stuff. In the bullpen, you've got a guy like TJ Brock with, with excellent stuff and uh, Baden Root who threw really well. And if they can really round out some edges on this pitching staff and hit just as well as they did this weekend, Ohio State's going to be really, really dangerous because this is not – and I don't This is – I'll say something I think that maybe folks in the Big Ten will bristle out a little bit, but you don't see pitching staffs with this level of stuff in the Big Ten all that often. You know, the Big Ten kind of tends to be a pitchability league uh, versus the SEC, more of like a power league. But, I mean, these are high, high high-level stuff arms. And they're sacrificing some pitchability, right, like with a guy like Lonsway, clearly. But we don't see staffs with this kind of high-octane stuff in the Big Ten all that often, and Ohio State's got it. And if they can round out some of the rough edges on the pitching staff, by the time they get to the business end of the Big Ten, I think they're going to be in in really, really good shape if they can continue to hit as well – as they did this weekend, which was good, but not great.
1: Ohio State is a fascinating team to me. They, uh, I I think I've made it clear over the last year just how high I think the ceiling is with the pitching staff. It just didn't click last year, and that led me to wonder how it would click this year. But if uh, this first weekend against an Illinois team that I still think is solid, if if this is any indication, you know, Ohio State looks looks the part. I mean, what what did you think of, of Illinois?
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that, I think they are solid. Like I think it's a team that's going to finish right around where we, we pegged them, which I think you had them like what fifth in the pecking order like in the that, preseason. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think it's
1: five. Yeah,
0: I think that's what they are. Um, they Brandon Comia didn't really do anything at the plate, one for 13 over the weekend. So. That was a big part of the problem. They also had a horrible time getting guys in um, when they put them in scoring position, because the thing about it was, is like we talked about, Ohio State does lack a little bit for some of the pitchability things that, um, that you would want in a pitching staff. So they were getting some guys on base. They were just having a heck of a time getting them in. Illinois could have easily won either of, um, you know, either of the first two games they played against Ohio State. And we'd be talking about a split a split two and two weekend I will say with Illinois what what I come away a little bit concerned about with Illinois is I really like on the pitching staff and in the lineup I really like their top line guys like I I really like what I saw from Andrew Hoffman in the first game and Cole Kershipper was really really good in the finale a couple guys in the bullpen had nice weekends including Aiden Maldonado which I think is a, a big deal for them in um, the lineup, um, I believe in in Brandon Comilla, and I really like Taylor Jackson out of the lineup, out of the leadoff spot, but I kind of have concerns about depth on both sides, and I think that it reminded me this weekend that, oh yeah, this was an Illinois team that came into 2020 kind of hitting the reset button a little bit. When you think about that 2019 team that they got to a regional and had an older club. And then they, they came into 2020 looking to answer some of these questions and they played pretty well early in 2020, but ultimately felt like maybe they hadn't gotten answers to a lot of the questions that they had. And so it reminded me that, oh yeah, this is a team that's still kind of coming into this season looking for answers. And I think it was pretty clear, like in that second game Saturday, which was the only game where Ohio State just truly ran away with it. When they were desperately cycling through relievers, trying to find somebody who could either either throw strikes or if they threw strikes, not have it hit hard. And that was a a real, real struggle in the second half of Saturday. So um, that's where my concerns are with Illinois. So I think the talent is good enough for them to be a competitive, you know, either maybe the last team on the list among the top group of competitors or the first team on the list of like the second tier of competitors. I just don't know that their depth is going to be good enough to allow them to compete anywhere beyond that. That's kind of my snap reaction there.
1: So Illinois, one of several teams that I want to see more out of, obviously like the, it's weird because we're in the third weekend now. And so I'm already moving into being like willing to make more judgment about teams around the country, but you do have to remember this was opening weekend for the big, for these big 10 teams. So for Illinois, for Maryland, for Minnesota, uh, if Iowa loses again today, uh, you know, for any of those teams, you don't want to you don't want to freak out too badly uh, just over the one weekend they'll have time to work some of these things out. Now the unfortunate thing for all of them is that they're doing it uh only in conference play and there is no tournament this year. So you know the, these losses, they're, they're counting towards those big 10 standings. And, and, you know, so you, you don't have a whole lot of, of time to correct it in terms of competing for the big 10 title, but one weekend at the start of the season does not a season make so important to remember as you evaluate, you know both the teams that did well and, and, and the teams that did poorly this weekend. You know it, Michigan State. Uh, you know it, 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 well, I want to see more. I, I want to see that that continue. It was a great start. Like now, now build on it. So uh, we've talked about it plenty here. Just how interesting this season is going to be from a Big Ten perspective, as these teams all you know have to play each other and have to to play each other right out of the shoot in uh, in a strange format as well you know not only are these four game series or four game weekends they're on all series and uh so it's uh it's gonna be interesting i guess buckle up is the uh is the message to impart there uh all right joe we've uh we've covered a lot um i think the one thing that we didn't cover that i think or there are two things that we didn't cover that i think are are worthwhile touching on one is that mississippi state through a combined no-hitter yesterday against Kent State to win a series. Uh that included six perfect innings from Jackson Fristo to, to start the game. Uh Mississippi State has a lot of pitching. It didn't the the Saturday game against Kent State didn't go so well. Sarantola, again wasn't uh wasn't as good as the rest of the, the rotation. And um, you know, they'll the, the, the point is, though, that Mississippi State has a lot of different options, and uh, they they showed it there on Sunday against Kent State, and then the uh, the other notable thing out of the SEC is that LSU lost a series at home to Oral Roberts and gave up 22 runs on Friday night in doing so. Yeah, a couple of interesting things there. Mississippi State's interesting because I think one thing
0: that I've thought about Mississippi State in the past, going back to like when Ethan Small was their Friday guy, is that you know, oftentimes they feel like a third starter short and sometimes I have to back up and realize this is something we've said at least a handful of times in this podcast over the years is that the number of teams in college baseball that truly have a number three, they really like are smaller than you think they are. And so, but I think interestingly about this Mississippi state team, because you're right, they do have just a ton of options and a ton of arms. Like they might be one of those teams where it's not so much that they like their number three guy, it's that they just feel like our strength here is that, okay, we're going to drop a game on Saturday randomly. And in this case it was Kent state and Sarantola wasn't great. And like Luke Albright is a good arm. And like, there were a lot of things that contributed to that, but then they're able to come back on Sunday and just throw volume at you. And in Fristo giving six innings, I don't want to downplay that, but, you know, that could have been a four inning start and they still might have pulled that off because well, they,
1: they, you know, Landon Sims didn't pitch in the first two games and Landon Sims has pitched as almost as well as anyone in the country out of yeah. the bullpen. He probably has been the best reliever. And, you know, so I thought we were going to see another four inning Landon Sims outing and yet he only gave one because Fristo gave six perfect.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think that's a team that the depth is is the strength there versus necessarily having, you know, two guys at the front of the rotation. They just feel awesome about. LSU that's such a weird series man like the Friday thing that was one of the things that did kind of come into my orbit on Friday like you know when you're covering games on site like Teddy and I have talked about this but it's hard to pay a ton of attention to what else is going on even if you try especially on like days where there's you're watching multiple games like two three four games in a day but that was one thing that did come into my orbit because it was just like holy cow what is happening here um just really bizarre the way they, they hit Jaden Hill. Um, I, you know, I'm actually, uh, looking forward to talking to Ryan Fulmar, uh, a little bit, um, just to, you know, and I will pass along the secrets if he has secrets to hitting Jaden Hill in that way. Cause I'm sure there are a lot of sec coaches that are are looking for that kind of Intel, but, and then to come back on Sunday and lose that game, like not to lose it 8 where we could kind of say like, wow, LSU pitching problems, maybe question mark but then they come back and lose a three to one game where the offense is the problem on Sunday.
1: So that was uh, and the, the other thing that sec coaches want is the secret to stopping Dylan Cruz. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Ryan Fulmar has
0: got some secrets that, uh, that he, uh, he will be able to divulge to coaches throughout the Southeast. Cause they, they had some answers there that I, I did. First of all, did not anticipate them having answers for this and, is a team
1: that would want two games coming yeah. into the weekend. Oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it really... this isn't,
1: this isn't your father's or your older brothers or your, I don't know. This isn't Oral Roberts of 20 years ago is the point here.
0: Right. There, there is definitely a scenario in like, you know, Oral Roberts has continued to be the, the most talented team. And notice I use the word talented in the summit league, but yeah, th- I mean, there, there was a time when Oral Roberts, like under Rob Walton or back in the day under Sonny Galloway where, this series win would have been like, oh, well, LSU probably shouldn't have lost that, but you know, Oral Roberts, they, they can play with anybody and they win games in regionals every year. And ORU's taken taking a step back from doing that. So yeah, this, I mean, this is really kind of a shocking loss and I feel like maybe it, maybe it's just because I was a little bit more detached this weekend, but it, it does feel like it, it as, as much as flying under the radar, it can be like, it kind of has a little bit. And maybe if LSU was a, was a top 10 team as opposed to 12 or wherever we had them, maybe it's a little different story, but um, it just a, a bonkers weekend there for sure.
1: Very, very strange. And uh, now LSU de- really needs to get back on track this weekend. They have a uh, interesting little round robin tournament um, coming to Baton Rouge before they, they get into the SEC schedule and uh, they, uh, they need to bounce back and, you know, it's not a situation that, like like Joe said. They lost in a blowout on Friday, um, you know, with 29 combined runs being scored, and then they lost a, a pitcher's duel on on Sunday. So it's uh, you know, it wasn't just one thing that went wrong this weekend. Uh, so I, I don't know if that makes it easier or harder to fix, but uh, it it is it is going to be interesting to see what the Tigers do from here, particularly because they have so many younger pieces especially in the lineup so uh where where things go from there will be uh will be interesting to track and we'll be doing that over at baseballamerica.com throughout the week you can check out uh what we have over there off the bat is there uh if you haven't checked out my uh deep dive into the weekend and, and joe will come out with uh three strikes there on wednesday and i believe he just teased that oral roberts will be a part of that so you can uh you can look for that at baseballamerica.com on Wednesday, you can follow us on Twitter i'm at Ted Cahill Joe is at Joe Healy BA, we will be back here later in the week, probably on Thursday. uh, With the next edition of the baseball America college podcast to preview the fourth weekend of college baseball looking forward to that so make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere where you get this podcast, uh, you can make sure to hit that subscribe button and it'll pop right into your phone there when we publish it on Thursday afternoon. Until then, I want to thank you all for listening. Thanks to Joe uh, for joining me as always. And thank you to Rapsodo for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. We'll see you next time.